book of Zephaniah. The last of the pre-Babylonian captivity prophets. So next lesson, we'll try to figure out what kind of trouble the people of God could get into when they get home from Babylon, because that's where the next prophet will take us up, is dealing with issues when they get home. Refer to this as the royal prophet, because Zephaniah was of the royal line, as we'll see in just a minute. Let's just go ahead and jump right in. Verse number one, the word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of um, Hezekiah, or Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So let's look at this introductory verse here. Number one, he says, this is the word of the Lord. If I was going to have to bring this message to the people of God, I would want to be very clear up front. This is what God said. It's not my message. I didn't come up with this because Zephaniah has some very dark, heavy things to say, not just to the present age to which he was speaking, but to future times still yet to come. And so it's very clear from the very beginning here, this is the word of the Lord. Then we have him introduced, Zephaniah. This, his name means hidden, or um, some say hidden by Jehovah. Um, some specify that they think he was named hidden because um, he was hidden from the atrocity of King Manasseh's reign, which is probably the time period in which he would have been born. Um, you could also think of being hidden in Christ. He's got a lot of trouble and dark days that he's going to tell about, but the person who walks with God will be hidden in Christ. Um, then we have there we go. Must not have been touching it hard enough, and it finally caught up. He was a descendant of King Hezekiah, which is the name Hezekiah. Here, um, he was, I believe, four generations after um, Hezekiah, which would make him a cousin of the present-day king of Israel, um, the king Josiah. And this would put Zephaniah somewhere around 640 to 620, this message being brought, because that was around the time period of King Josiah's reign. Here's an interesting note. Although, um, well, I'll just read it instead of saying it in different words and what's up on the screen. Although Zephaniah is not mentioned in 2 Kings 22, which is where we find out about King Josiah's reforms, it may have been his preaching that led the young King Josiah to repair the temple. This led to a time of national revival. Um, what, I've read this, and some commentators mention that this was probably what spurred on young King Josiah. Um, and I find it to be possibly likely because, um, if you remember, the prophet Micah is not mentioned when Hezekiah's reforms are talked about. But when you read Jeremiah, they said, oh, well, when Micah said this, King Hezekiah did this. And you go and you study the book of Micah, you can find exactly where the men in the days of Jeremiah said 
um, where, where, where they were quoting from. So it was, I believe, the third sermon of Micah that apparently King Hezekiah heard, and it made him get right with God, scared him to death. That sermon would scare me to death, too, if the prophet walked in and preached it to me. And so this was probably a similar type of thing. They were cousins. Um, and so he had probably heard Zephaniah preach, possibly preach this specific message here. It would scare me into going and cleaning up the temple and getting right with God as well. Regardless, this is the time period in which Josiah repaired the temple and these things. And we know that he would have been preaching early in the reign of Josiah because of the sins of the nation that he talks about that were dealt with by King Josiah. Um, and then verses two through three seem to give an overview of the book. He jumps into the message in verse number two, and I put it here with the introduction because it, it, it seems to be introductory to all of the message that he's about to bring. He says, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven. So now he gets very specific. The fowls of the heaven, the fishes of the sea, and the stumbling blocks. Some say this is a reference to the idols, probably so, but anything that would keep someone from God, stumbling blocks with the wicked, and I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. And then he begins to get very specific on exactly what he's going to do. So Zephaniah is a book a message of judgment. There are two dimensions to that judgment. Um, and we've talked about this with some of the other prophets. I believe it was Amos that we talked about this in pretty good detail. There would be imminent judgment. This is something about to happen. They're going to be judged. God's going to use the Babylonians to invade them, take them into captivity. But then there would be final judgment as well. So some of his prophecies have not been fulfilled yet. Chapter 2, he mentions a couple of things that we have not seen yet. Um, and then chapter 3, he talks about a number of things that are yet to happen. Possibly all of three is specifically um, end-time prophecy. But he's going to be bringing both aspects of this. And if you remember when we studied Amos, we talked about there was a third dimension. Anybody remember the third dimension? That's where he's talking about both things at the same time. So he may be being very specific in a future day of the Lord, um, talking about the time of the tribulation period. He may be talking about what was about to happen to the nation in that day. And then some of the things he says may have dual prophecy. Part of them may be have been fulfilled the first time with the Babylonian invasion, and then will later be fulfilled in the last days. So let's look through an outline of this book of Zephaniah. First of all, we see judgment on Judah. What does the scripture say? Judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And so that's where the Lord begins here in talking about God's judgment on Judah. In verse number four, he begins to lay out four different groups of people, you could say, that are going to be dealt with in this judgment. Um, in verse number four, he begin, let's just read verse four. I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal. So he's going to deal with Baal worship. Um, and then he says, and the name of the Kimraims, 
uh, with the priests. These were um, people who worshipped um, these false gods. They were involved in the worship, I believe it was, of Baal. Them that worshipped the host of heaven. And so these are those who were practicing in astrology. Notice it was on the housetops. Um, houses were built flat, and they would have a family living space, basically. It would be their living room would be up on the roof of the house. That's why the law of God put in specifications that they were to put railings on the tops of their houses to keep their kids and people from falling off. And so um, they would go onto the tops of houses, and they would um, study the stars and worship the heavens. Um, Then he deals with, in verse number um, five, an interesting statement is made. Look what he says uh, later in verse five, and them that worship and that swear by the Lord. That really stumped me when I was going through making a list of all the different false practices they were doing. I'm like, he's going to judge those who swear by the Lord? I mean, this sounds good. These people, they're speaking in the name of the Lord, but then he keeps going. And that swear by Malcolm. You see what they were doing. They were trying to worship God, and it was like the lady that um, had been coming to our church for a while in Louisiana, and a lot of us had witnessed to her. Her husband had died, and she'd started coming to the church when my dad Um, One of the ladies actually saw her at a gas station weeping, pumping her gas. And so the lady went around the gas pump and started asking her, is there something I can do to help you? And the lady said, yes. She said, my husband's about to die. And so um, um, she said, well, would you like my pastor to go talk to him? And anyway, so my dad ended up at the house, talked to them and um, talked to the husband. He died a few days later. Anyway, the wife started coming regularly to church. I mean, she tithed really good. I mean, it was really impressive. Um, But a lot of that was just out of gratefulness for how the church had taken her in and taken care of her after her husband had died. And anyway, um, she, my mom had witnessed to her. And at the end of praying to receive Christ, she said, yes, she said, I have Jesus and Buddha. My mom tried to explain to her, no, no, it's one or the other. Um, And then an evangelist's wife was in town, and the woman was really troubled about her soul, talked to the evangelist's wife. She got down on her knees. She prayed to receive Christ, and she got up, and she was so happy. Now I have Jesus and Buddha. She was from Sri Lanka. And the lady tried to explain to her, no, ma'am, it's all Jesus or all Buddha. You can't have both. And that was what they were doing here. Oh, they got Jesus. We have Jehovah and we have Malcolm. We have both of these. And so it was a hybrid religion. We had counterfeit worship is what's going on. They're trying to claim that they're still worshiping in the name of God, but they're not. In association with this worship would have been child sacrifices, astrology, as has already been mentioned earlier in this verse, as well as temple prostitution. So there is, this is some wicked religion that they're involved in, but they're still trying to put on this resemblance of worshiping Jehovah. Then he gives two other groups. Look what he says in the next verse, and them that are turned back from the Lord. 
So those who have followed God at one time and have turned away from him, and those that have, have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. So he said, this is where judgment is going to come. It's going to come on the bell worshipers. It's going to come on those practicing astrology, those who are mixing um, both religions together. God's going to deal with the backsliders. God's going to deal with those who never in the first place even tried to pursue after God. In verse number seven, he says, hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God for the day of the Lord is at hand. So he says, this is about to happen. We talked about in Amos, that day of the Lord, it's a reference. Um, if you look at the bigger picture, it's a reference to end time events, end time judgment, when God brings that final judgment. But um, it is also a reference to severe judgment that might be about to happen. And in this case was soon to happen. So he says, the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his guests. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish. Now he starts listing these different classes of people in their nation. We saw the counterfeit worshipers. Now we see the corrupt politicians. He says, in the same day will I also, uh, sorry, I skipped something, verse 8. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all that are clothed with strange apparel. I remember my sister as a young girl um, reading that verse, and it bothered her. God was going to judge people that were wearing strange apparel. And so just as a young girl, she just started questioning what she wore. She said, if God mentions this in judgment, and I mean, she wasn't even, she was young enough, she wasn't even understanding context or anything. She just saw that and said, I need to pray about what I wear. And I mean, she's, I'm talking little girl. And anyway, she comes home one day and starts telling my mom the changes she was making in her wardrobe. And my mom was a little unhappy with it because she liked the clothes my sister was talking about she wasn't going to wear anymore. And Anyway, then the funny thing was, my mom had already been under conviction about it, and so she followed her little girl at changing <laughs> some things about her, her wardrobe. But it was this verse that really struck her heart. Well, what's he talking about here? The, this strange apparel, these are foreign things. It's stuff they've brought in from these other countries, other religions perhaps. They had been adopting the ways of the world instead of the ways of God. And so he says, I'm going to deal with the house, with the politician's family, the ruler's family. They're going to be dealt with. He said, in the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. I've heard this explained two different ways. Um, uh, both come out to mean the same thing. And that is, they were... They were um, they were oppressing the poor in order to build up their own riches. We've seen that in the other of the minor prophets. They keep talking about in the northern kingdom they were doing it, in the southern kingdom they were doing it. They were um, even some of the prophets have talked about they'd go in and steal the houses of the poor and take them to their possession. And that's likely what they're talking about here. They were leaping on the houses. They were on the thresholds. Uh, others explain it that they're going in and out of the house. They are in a hurry to go out and 
take advantage of others. Whatever the case is, it's the same point, either direction. They're taking advantage of others. Um, J. Vernon McGee said that he really didn't like being in the middle class in America. And this was back in the 50s. He said, hey, it's better to be in the upper class or the lower class. He said, because in this country, the rich are, take the money away from the middle class in order to take care of the poor. He said, they don't actually take care of the poor. They don't actually help the poor. They get richer. But um, anyway, I, I, we, we have, what, what did Solomon say? There's nothing new under the sun. It was the same thing that was happening um, in their day. In verse number 10, and it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate and a howling from the second. What's he talking about? And then from the hills as well. Um, he, he's talking about the merchants. So we have the counterfeit worshipers, the corrupt politicians, the crafty merchants. And I'm not talking about people who make crafts. Um, they're crafty, they're cheats, they're swindlers. And so he deals with their merchants. They're going to be judged. And then in verse number 12, he starts dealing with the complacent citizens. Verse 12, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles. God says this is not going to be a surface job. We're doing a deep cleaning here. And punish the men that are settled on their lees. That's a phrase that if, if you want to think about it this way, you ever picked up grape juice? And there's that nasty stuff that settles on the bottom. I call it nasty. I mean, you shake it up and it disappears into the grape juice. But it's that that just settles on the bottom. It's, it's a, a word, that, a phrase that's descriptive of complacency. They just sat down. They're not trying anymore. There's no, there's no seeking after God. There's no involvement in trying to do things God's ways. They're, they're just settled. They're just okay with the way it is. That say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. You ever talk to somebody or maybe thought it yourself? Well, God has not judged this before. He's not going to judge it now. You know, I, I know I've been committing adultery, but you know, I mean, God hasn't gotten me yet. He's not going to. It's that type of mentality. They can go into all kinds of sin, do all kinds of things. Why? Because God doesn't care. What do we have a tendency to do? We try to fashion our God after the way we are. And a complacent people have a complacent God. And so they say the Lord God is just like us. He doesn't care either. And so God says, I'm going to search them out. I'm going to take a candle. I'm going to go in. I will deal with them. Now, when we get to verse number 14, he gives a description of this day of judgment. He says, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near, and this is the imminent judgment that I was talking about, but this is also descriptive of the judgment of the final days. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath. So if you're making a list, number one, it's a day of wrath. It's a day of trouble and distress. It is a day, number three, of wasteness and desolation. Number four, a day of darkness and gloominess. Number five, a day of clouds 
and thick darkness. Number six, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. So why was all this happening? The nation had sinned against God. God had been patient. He had been long-suffering time and time again. But now he says, you've gone too far. And their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. In fact, it was just the opposite. Do you remember what did Nebuchadnezzar come after when he invaded Jerusalem? He was coming after the gold. Why? They had showed it off to some, one of their kings had showed it off to some of his ambassadors or some, some of the Babylonian ambassadors and they had showed it off. So they knew what they were coming for. He said, your gold, silver's not going to, it's not going to save you. In fact, it had already entrapped them. But when it comes down to it, we cannot buy God off. You ever try to get God to not do something bad? God, if you, do, if you don't do that, I will. I used to bargain with God like that as a teenager. I would start praying about something that I was struggling with. Maybe it was a, a sin that I just kept doing over and over. So I would start making these deals with God. Now I look back and realize how foolish that was. Because, I mean, still today, every once in a while... I'll think about one of those deals I made with God and think, oh boy, I sure hope he doesn't take me up on that. I know it has been 30 years, but I sure hope he doesn't take me up on that. Um, because if I remember, I know God remembers, and I consider that a sin that I hope he has thrown behind his back. But we are so foolish to think we can buy God off. And hey, he said, it's not going to work. When the day of the Lord's wrath comes, you, you can't buy him off. You can't buy off the Babylonians. You, can't buy off anything, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. A speedy riddance or a speedy end. In other words, God's just, he's going to bring it all to an end. This is going to be extreme. Now you know why he said at the very beginning, this is the word of the Lord. God said this. God told me to say this. He's making it very clear up front. So this was the, a, a judgment that was coming. And of course, we understand it will be even more severe in the last days. If you read Daniel, if you read um, the book of Revelation, we see the severity, even the words of Jesus in Matthew, the severity of the day of judgment that's coming. So he warns the people Get ready because God's going to judge. And then we come to chapter two and we see the judgment of other nations around them. He says, gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Now here, I think he's giving an invitation to um, the country of Judah, the southern kingdom, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek ye the Lord. So he's calling for them to gather up and seek God, which is interesting because Josiah, his cousin, early in his reign, he started seeking God. 
So that's one reason why I think he probably heard this message. I used to read the, the kings and wonder what would make this king just all of a sudden and say, and this king served the Lord. Why? His dad was terrible. His dad was a heathen. I mean, sometimes your dad can make you run the opposite direction, but we have a tendency to just, if we're mad at our dad, become him. Okay, so you have a terrible dad. Oh, I'm not going to be like my dad. And, you know, I've seen guys, you know, just slam their hand down. I'm not going to be like my dad. And I'm thinking, your dad is angry. Okay, okay. Now we're religiously angry. And they just take the anger a different direction. But after a while, you start noticing they become more and more and more and more. And we can do that with anybody we get bitter at, anybody we get angry at. But I would look at the kings and wonder. What made them just all of a sudden turn to God? Well, for Josiah, it was probably these words right here. I mean, you've just been scared to death. Your legs are shaking because you realize that we're about to be destroyed. We're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And then he says, God gives us a chance. Maybe God will hear. Okay, well, I'm going to seek God. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which were wrought which have wrought his judgment. Those of you who have brought this judgment on yourself, seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be that ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Now, we're not going to go through these in detail just because we don't have time. But the first nation he begins to deal with here is in verse four, nation on the Philistines. He mentions specific cities. He mentions Gaza, which is down here. He mentions Ashkelon. He mentions Ashdod. And it's interesting, uh, he refers to them as Canaan, as Philistines. And it's interesting at the end of verse seven, he begins to tell them how desolate their land's going to be. And at the end of verse seven, he says, for the Lord, their God shall visit them, talking about the house of Judah and turn away their captivity. He doesn't tell them their captivity is going to be turned away. But he said, one day your land is going to be used by the the Judeans, by the Israelites. Your land is going to be used for them to um, graze their cattle or, or their sheep rather. And so he talks about the judgment on this nation. He talks about the judgment on the Moabites and the Ammonites because of their treatment of the house of Israel. And it's interesting because all of this right here, and we've studied about Moab because it was um, Obadiah. Yeah, Obadiah that preached about the destruction of Moab. But um, the kingdom of Ammon and the kingdom of Moab now belongs to the country of Jordan. But look what he says in verse number nine. He says, therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah. And we looked at some pictures of the land of um, Moab today. And it is, it looks like the terrain around where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. I mean, it's just desert. He said, even the breeding of nettles. He says, so this is where weeds are going to grow and salt pits, and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall spoil them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. That's interesting. I don't know of any time in history where all of this land belonged, after this point in history, where that land belonged to Israel. Today, it's the country of Jordan. 
I hope this is not being broadcast in Jordan, but it's not going to be theirs for much longer. Why? Because he said right here, the remnant, those who are left, those who, and I, I think they could apply to the people who return um, to the land, they will own that one day. So there's prophecy in Zephaniah yet to be fulfilled. Then he continues on and he says, this is all because of the way they had treated um, God's people, the way they had treated the nation of Israel, all the way back to the wilderness wanderings when they tried to, if you remember, just tried to pass through the Moabites' land and they said, nope, you have to go around us. We don't want you coming through our country. And ever since then, there was, after that, there was enmity um, with those nations. Then he goes on and he talks about another country down here at the bottom, um, Ethiopia, which the red lines show present day countries. And then behind that, it's an overlay map. Behind that in the, with the black writing was the period of that day. But he deals with Ethiopia. He said, ye Ethiopians also ye shall be slain by the sword. Apparently, the Ethiopians at that time period had control over Egypt. So when the Babylonians came and were able to defeat the Egyptians, apparently that prophecy was fulfilled. Um, if we go on to verse number 13, we have the Assyrian Empire. He specifically mentions Nineveh, which we dealt with um, recently. Nahum talked about uh, the complete utter destruction and gave great details down to the fact that God was going to use nature, that there would be water was going to help bring down the walls of that city. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Um, the Babylonians have records today that you can go if you can read Babylonian, and it tells about the waters that um, the river rose and flooded part of the wall and that wall of Nineveh, they couldn't come down, started crumbling in a section and helped them defeat them. Um, but we have the judgment of these nations. And then if we leave chapter 2, and well, real quickly, before we get to chapter 3, in chapter 2, he's describing what Nineveh was like. Look at verse 15. He said, this is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly that said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. Wait, who, who, who does that sound like they were trying to be? They were making themselves God. They were lifting themselves up. What arrogancy, what pride. And then he says, how has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down in? Even everyone that passeth by her shall hiss and wag his head and when we studied Nahum, we looked at some pictures of present-day Nineveh, and it is a desolation, and the land around it is a desolation. If you look down to chapter 3, then we see God dealing with specifically, sorry, specifically the city of Jerusalem. And so as he deals with her, look what he says in verse number 1. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. The voice of who? She didn't obey the voice of God. She received not correction. <clears throat> she trust, 
sorry, she trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. So why were all of these things happening? The other nations, God was dealing with them because of the way they had treated Israel. But he said, Israel, I'm dealing with you in this way because of the way you have treated me. It was their treatment of their God. Her princes, and now he begins to describe the ruthlessness of her princes. He deals with the treachery of her prophets. He said they're light. That light means rude, arrogant, and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. So the house of God and the word of God, they had not respected. They had polluted it and done violence to it. Verse number five, the just Lord in the midst, sorry, the just Lord is in the midst thereof. God hadn't left. Even though things had become so violent, so wicked, God was still there. He's saying, I'm seeing all this. I'm watching this happening around me. He will not do iniquity. He's not going to have any part in their wickedness. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed so that there is no man and there is none inhabitant. I said, so why did he destroy those nations? I said, surely thou wilt fear me. If I destroy them, my people will fear me. Thou wilt receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off, howsoever I punish them. In other words, God's saying, I had done all of this in hopes that you would learn your lesson. When they saw the Assyrians destroyed, we're turning to God. We don't want God to do the same thing to us. When they heard what God was going to do to the other nations, that this would be a lesson to them. And some of these things had not been fully fulfilled by this time period. So I I called my dad this morning. I said, do you think that this could be talking about a future day that Israel would look back and all of these things have been fulfilled? That one day in the future, this would be God saying to them, I did all of these things to these other nations so that you would fear me, so that you would know me. He actually responded that it was probably dual prophecy. That at that time, he had done the the things he had done so far as a warning to them. But as we come closer to the end, and as, I mean, today, Israel is being more and more gathered. This fighting in Ukraine is just bringing more Jews back to the homeland. This week, I saw a a huge number of um, Jewish orphans that had been rescued from Ukraine, brought into the homeland. And they're celebrating and dancing at the airport as they're celebrating more Jews coming home. And so as they're gathered home, God's saying, I've done all this in the past. All these prophecies have been fulfilled in hopes that you will turn to me. And then he looks at future judgment. Future judgment, beginning in verse number eight, we see this great, terrible day of the Lord that's coming. Therefore, wait ye upon the Lord, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to pray for my determination is to gather the nations. Sound like revelation? 
to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth <clears throat> shall be devoured with fire, the fire of my jealousy. God says, I'm going to judge every nation. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. What's he talking about this pure language? God is going to make a change in their hearts and their words are going to be pure. They're not going to be deceitful. They're not going to be against the Lord any longer. They're not going to be corrupt against the word of God any longer, but it's going to be pure words. And they'll call upon the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed shall bring mine offering. He said, I'm bringing my people back home. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, he said, they're going to come back home. What are they coming back to do? They're going to come back to worship. They're bringing my offering. In that day, thou shalt not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Now when he brought judgment, the imminent judgment, and the Babylonians came and destroyed the nation and took them away, they did leave a remnant of people behind. But I don't think that's the remnant. I think he's talking about the end times <clears throat> when there is the great battle and there is going to be peace on the earth. I think that's what he's talking about. He's going to leave a, there's going to be a people left of the Jews that are going to trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies. Neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth for they shall feed and lie down and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So here he's giving them this horrible message. You're all going to be killed. You're all going to be destroyed. The land's going to be desolate. And you think it's going to be bad when the Babylonians come. There's an even greater, more terrible day coming. But there is reason for rejoicing. Why? Verse 15, the Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He was telling them of a future day. God was going to take away the judgment. He hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. This was the greatest reason for rejoicing. There would not be trouble. I've got friends that live in Israel today. They are constantly dealing with trouble. Well, some of y'all know one of them. Um, she used to go to church here, and uh, Karen used to be DeSimone. I mean, there's constant turmoil, constant trouble. If you follow any news people from Israel, I mean, it's a daily thing of trouble. Enemies within. This week, there was a, an attack in the old city, um, a guy attacking police officers with a knife. But he said, the enemy one day will be removed. The best part was the Lord, Jehovah, was going to be in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil anymore. 
In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack or be weak. For the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. What an amazing time the millennial reign of Christ is going to be when the inhabitants of the earth get to hear God sing. What an amazing day. As a musician, I think of that, and wow, that'll be cool. Get to hear God sing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth and gather her that was driven out. He's talking about his people that were driven out in the past, but they're coming home. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. So I look at this and realize that the gathering today is not a full fulfillment of this verse. It's just the trickling start, maybe. But when the day comes that he's talking about here, he said, they will have fame. There will be glory for the Jews from the places that they've been scattered. Verse 20, last verse, at that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth. When I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. And when we get to the book of Haggai, we'll see what looks like a fulfillment of that last verse. But after we read the message of Haggai, we will doubt that that was the actual fulfillment. Why? Because um, that has not been fulfilled yet. The day's coming when God is going to gather his people. He will bring victory. We know who wins. We can read Revelation. It all sounds scary, but we know who wins. In the end, God will be in the midst of his people, and he's going to be singing, and he's going to be rejoicing, and it will be a grand time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the hope that it gives us that even in dark days for the nation of Israel, they could have hope in you because they knew that if they turned to you, they would have a future and they would have a hope. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to find hope in this, that we'd, we'd heed the warning as we've seen how you've dealt with other nations, that our nation would turn to you. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us today to find our hope in you, find our rejoicing in you, that no matter what happens, how dark it is, we know that we have a great future because we trust in you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless in the next service. Bless Brother Will as he preaches. Lord, I just pray that you'd be honored and glorified and that we'd be encouraged and built up in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.